Great to see you all. Welcome. Morning. Praise God. What a beautiful time of the year this is, isn't it? Who likes this time of the year? It's fantastic. Yeah. There's a guy walking along the road. He's just so happy to be alive. And saw another guy coming towards him. He says, spring in the air. The other guy said, do it yourself. <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. We're going to um, do the second part of our two-part series entitled Wholeness, Health and Healing. If you didn't get, catch the first part, you can catch it online, uh, where we spoke about the fact that often much of what happens in our lives comes from the inside out. Amen. God wants us to be whole on the inside, and that actually results in good health and wholeness in, in every area of our lives. And uh, so it's important that you, you, you get that teaching if you didn't get that. But we're going to look at the second part this morning. It's in the form of a question, do we receive healing by taking communion? Now, this might be a little bit controversial this morning, so um, I just ask you to uh, listen to all I've got to say right to the end. And um, then go back to the Word of God and check it out. That's all that we can do, isn't it? Remember that I said there is no one-size-fits-all when you talk about healing. There are different reasons why people get sick, and there are different ways to receive healing. Amen? So we don't put all our eggs in one basket. But, but unfortunately, some people have absolute views about the subject of healing. And here's a couple of examples. Some people believe in cessationalism, not sensationalism, but cessationalism, which is the belief that all miraculous healing ended with Jesus and the apostles. Um, they say if you look at the Bible, at certain periods there were healings. For example, in the life and, and ministry of Moses, there were healings and then no healings. And then you come to Elijah and Elisha, there were healings again and then no healings until the time of Jesus and the apostles. And now we have the Bible. Uh, so that period and that ministry is finished. That's why they're called cessationalists. Um, everything charismatic and, you know, the miraculous that ceased to be after the age of the apostles. Now, this is not stated anywhere in the Bible. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's something that is read into the Bible. When people have a view, whether it's kind of uh, from their, their religious background, their denominational background or whatever, and, and they hold to that view, they try to read that into the Bible. That's what we call isogesis, reading something into the Bible, trying to find something that's not there. But true reading of the Bible should be exegesis. Let's read the Bible and see what it says for itself, what arises out of the Bible. Amen. And so we don't believe that, that um, healing finished in the times of the, uh, the apostles. Uh, in fact, it, there are many scriptures that say the contrary. For example, God has given one of the gifts in the bodies, the gift of healing. Amen. And that's meant for the, the whole of the church age. God is called Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals, the Lord our healer. That's the meaning. That's his name. His name is the, the Lord our healer. And of course, he never changes. Amen. Um, personally, I cannot believe in a Christ who is not a healing Christ. Right, something even worse than that is to believe in a Christ who did heal, but has stopped healing today. That doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you read the Bible, you see that Jesus did three things. He preached, he taught, and he healed. 
He preached, which is the evangelism. That's the word. That's the meaning of the word evangelism. He preached the gospel, the good news. He taught, he discipled those who uh, received him and responded to him. And he healed often, many times he healed. Often he healed multitudes. So, we, you know, there are those that hold that absolute view and that's the way they, they uh, respond to the whole subject of healing. They say, no, that's, that period is finished. So we don't believe that. But then there, the other end of the extreme, there are those who say, by his stripes, we are healed. Okay, we are healed. And so you say, well, I'm, I'm sick. So you're saying I'm healed, but I'm, I'm sick. And they say, no, that's just the symptoms. You think, yeah, that's exactly right. It's the symptoms of a sickness I have. <laughs> you can't separate the two. And they say, no, they're lying symptoms. No, they're telling the truth, mate. I'm not feeling well. I've got pain. I've got inflammation or whatever it is. And, and so, but this, this, actually that comes from Christian scientism. It's mind over matter. It's denying what is real, but just trying to psych it away with, with your confession and, 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 and what you, you believe. And so when it doesn't manifest and you ask them, why isn't this happening then in my life? They say, because of your lack of faith. So not only are you sick, you're now condemned <laughs> because you've got no faith to believe. And they say, Satan can steal away your healing by your negative confession and things like this. And it becomes a whole works trip, actually. And then there are some who just go into denial. This is worse, actually. There are some people who say, uh, if you really believe and have faith, you should never go to the doctors. Now, we know there's a cult that says that, and they're against blood transfusions. But there are some in the Christian church that say, if you, if you go to the doctors, if you seek medical help, it's a symbol of unbelief. And, uh, you know, some of these preachers, like, for example, one who was very strong in this, I don't name names, it's not, it's not important about names, but he said, I've never had one sick day in my life. But the truth is he had four cardiovascular episodes, but denied that, you see, then you end up lying. I, I know a pastor on, on the Gold Coast who, who just believe you should not go to the doctors, not seek medical help, otherwise you're in unbelief. Then he was sick and in the end he had to go to the hospital and he told his secretary, he's a pastor, he said, if anybody phones up, don't tell them I'm in hospital. <laughs> you know, well, friends, when it doesn't work, change your doctrine. Amen? Change your doctrine. And so th these are extreme views and we want to look at really what the Bible really teaches. Now, first of all, let me say this. No one got healed by having a correct doctrine of healing. Amen? Just think about that for a moment. You don't get healed because you've got the right doctrine, but people got healed through faith in Jesus, just trusting in Jesus, bringing their need to him and trusting him. In fact, you know, there are some times in the Bible where Jesus healed when there was no faith. He initiated, like for example, the man that was at the, um, the gate, uh, 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 the pool of Bethesda, and uh, he didn't know Jesus was gonna come across and heal him, but he did. And because the father directed him. And so um, it's, you know, you don't get healed because you've got everything in its right place. And, and also the Bible says this, the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. You, you read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, by the way. And, um, you know, there, 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 there have been some people in church history who say the, the body is evil. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't worry about the body, but it's only the spirit that matters. But the Bible says the Lord is for your body. 
The Lord actually has a wonderful plan for your body. You know that? One day you and I will have a body like unto his glorious body. A resurrection, a raised body that is uh, immortal, incorruptible, and a beautiful body like unto his glorious body. But the Lord is for your body. In fact, everything that God is going to do through you, he will do through your body. Amen. You think about it, everything. Wherever God wants to take you, you will use your feet or your legs to get you there. Whatever he wants you to say, it will be through your, your mouth. He will use your hands to reach out and bless people and, and, and welcome people and encourage people and so on. The Lord is for your body and the body is for the Lord. Amen. Now, Jesus healed by grace. Everything in the Christian life is by grace. Amen. It's by grace. It's not by our works. It's by grace. In fact, often Jesus healed people without even asking them to respond to salvation. You think, well, that's strange. You know, first of all, get him saved first and then we'll talk about healing. Jesus didn't do that. He healed many people without leading them into salvation. Now, it's not that he's not wanting them to stay like that. He doesn't want you to have a healthy body to go to hell. <laughs> Amen. So Jesus is for our, 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 every part of us. But it's all by grace. It's all by grace, not by formulas, not by our works, not by our meriting it, not by our being good enough. Do you remember the man that um, uh, Peter healed uh, in Acts chapter, was it Acts chapter 3? Forget now, Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, wasn't it? Um, and, and people rushed and, and around and they said, why are you looking at us? As if by our holiness this man is healed. It's got nothing to do with us. It's all by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes he heals instantaneously. I hope I'm pronouncing this word correctly. Io, Io, Iaomai, Iaomai. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but that refers to instant healing. And you often find that when, when uh, in evangelism, when people go to preach the gospel, these signs follow and confirm the word of God. Instant healing. People get instantly healed. Okay, it's not the only way though. There's another word for healing, which is gradual, thera therapia, from which we get the word therapeutic. Okay, which means to recover. It's a process, a process of healing. And I would say every one of us here have received at least that kind of healing. We've all been sick and we've all recovered. That's therapeutic. See, God works in different ways. He's not confined to just instant healing. And that's the way, if you put God in a box, you probably find that God is not working for you and in you. But just leave it to him. He's sovereign and he is the Lord who heals us by his grace. Amen. Now, we're going to look at this scripture then, okay, uh, that is often quoted, by his stripes we are healed. If you know the word of God, you'll know that that's found in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. By his stripes we are healed. We're going to ask the question, healed in what sense? And we always need to look at the context. But first of all, let me say this. Isaiah is not referring to physical healing. When he said that, he's referring to spiritual healing. Jesus did not have to die and suffer to heal our bodies. He healed many people before the cross. In fact, many people were healed in the Old Testament and even people were raised from the dead. Jesus didn't have to die or suffer so we could be healed. Amen. 
He died for our sin. He died to save us from our sin. The wages of sin is death. So he died in our place that we might be forgiven and that we might be restored to him. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I suggest you do that today. Call upon the Lord and he, you'll be saved. But here's a couple of examples of this where, where, where uh, sin is referred to as sickness, but it's uh, referring to spiritual sickness. Psalm 41 verse 4. The psalmist says, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Very clear that the healing he's referring to there is a spiritual healing. Amen? Forgiveness. And then in Mark chapter 2, Jesus said this. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He was being criticized because he was hanging out with, with sinners, those who were known to be sinners. And um, he was criticized for that. He said, well, I haven't come to, uh, you know, for those who are well, but for those who are sick spiritually. And then he goes on to explain, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And so here, again, we see that um, Sickness is related to a spiritual condition. Now we'll get back to Isaiah. Right at the beginning of his book, he gives this uh, analogy of someone who's in a sinful state being spiritually sick. Let's, re let's read that. Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 6. He says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. Then he goes on to use this analogy about that spiritual condition. He says the whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment so you can see that already Isaiah is thinking in this way when he talks about a sickness about his people he's referring to their spiritual condition okay so now we come into Isaiah 53 and there we see the context is clear that the sickness that's being referred to there is referring to this the sins of the people and of us, by the way. So Isaiah 53 verses, verse 5 says, by whose stripes we are healed. Now let's look at the verses before and after. Get the context of that. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded, this is verse 5, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Same verse, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. The context is clear. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when you look at the context, it's very clear that Isaiah was referring to what Jesus would do on the cross for us in saving us from our sins and granting us forgiveness by dying in our place.
In fact, we'll look at these words here more specifically. The words wounded uh, or bruised and crushed are strong terms denoting injuries inflicted by punishment, punishment for wrongdoing. The word wounded is interested, interesting because it means to bore through or to pierce through, to pierce through. Now that's interesting because Isaiah uh, ministered about a thousand years before the, the cross. If I'm not mistaken, no, sorry, it might be 600 years, 600 years before the cross. Okay, so at that time, um, crucifixion was not known. It was not a form of capital punishment. But Isaiah speaking under the inspiration of the, the Spirit prophesied by the means by which Jesus would die. He would be pierced, pierced through for our transgressions. And then he would be bruised. That means to be beaten with blows, to be beaten with blows so that it leaves welts or, 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 or um, yeah, those sort of things in the body. To, to be beaten black and blue. He actually says that in one of, one of the um, Greek commentators say, says that. So Jesus suffered stripes or blows as punishment for sin, not for sickness. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 2 to 3. It shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, as for his crimes, for his mis misdemeanors, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may be given him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight. Now that was for crimes. Jesus was, received 39 stripes, didn't he? We know that according to that law. They didn't want to do 40 in case they miscounted and went over and, and uh, broke the law. And so Jesus suffered for our sins, for our iniquities. Um, so let's have a just look at the remainder of this passage in Isaiah 53. It's all about sin, friends. Jesus died not for sickness, but for sins. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, uh, sorry, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, for he shall bear their iniquities, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All the way through. It's very clear. The whole context is talking about there was one purpose that Jesus went for the cross, and that was to die in our place so that we might be forgiven. Amen. Now the verse is also quoted in the, in the New Testament by Peter. And again, if you look at the context, it's very clear. He's not even mentioning sickness. He's referring to Jesus reconciling us to the Father by his death on the cross, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. See, people just take that verse out of its context and apply it to a physical sense. Then he goes on to say, just what, like Isaiah said, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So neither Isaiah nor Peter intended physical healing as the result in these references to Christ's sufferings. He didn't need to. Jesus is the healer. 
His name, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The true gospel is this. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Amen? Now, come back to this question. Does God heal the sick today? Of course he does. I reckon if we were to give, have a testimony time here, those that have received healing, I, you know, there'd be so many testimonies of people that have been healed in answer to prayer, but not on the basis of what Jesus did at the cross. Amen? Not because of his sacrificial death in our place. Now that comes back to this question then that we're looking at. Do we receive healing through the communion? See, this is not a, you know, people say, well, it's not a big deal. It is if we're interpreting that chapter in 1 Corinthians 11 incorrectly because we're missing the main point. There is another main point that Jesus, sorry, Paul was referring to in that chapter, which we will miss if we misinterpret it. So we're going to look at that. Um, and, and as I say, I submit all this to you to go back home, study it for yourself, look at the scriptures and ask the Lord to show you. Amen. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So what does, what does the cup represent? The blood of Christ. Okay, so when we take communion, we should be meditating upon what Jesus did for us at the cross. Reminding ourselves, Jesus paid it all. It is finished. Amen. We are cleansed, we are pardoned, we are righteous, we are made holy, made one sacrifice once for all, and by that sacrifice, he has perfected us forever. We need to be reminded of that. So that's why this was instituted, because we know how quickly the church goes away from that truth to dwell upon the fact that, you know, we're still not forgiven, we've got to confess every sins to be forgiven. No, we are forgiven, friends. You hold that cup in your hand, you remind yourself you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It is finished. He's done it all. Keep reminding yourself that. That's what the cup is about. Now, what about the bread? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Amen? So the bread, in this instance... It's not a reminder of Jesus' offering up his body. We don't need two reminders that Jesus died for us. We have the blood, and it's by his blood that we are cleansed and forgiven. But the bread speaks about when he died, the Bible says that the church was created. You know, the blood and the water came out of his side, and, and that was the, a symbol of the church being born. Just as, just as Eve came out of the side of Adam, Jesus, the, the last Adam, was pierced and out of his side came the church. And we are one body. We are connected with every believer around the world. Christ has only got one body. Amen? He only has one body and we are that body. So the communion was a meal to celebrate our unity in Christ. But... In the Corinthian church, this is where the problem was. This is why Paul is addressing this to the Corinthians. Look at the context. It manifested the opposite. When they came to communion, they were actually 
displaying disunity and, and, and disharmony in, 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 the, in a grotesque sort of way. You know, somebody asked me in the week, I, I, I don't know if it's because they saw what I was going to be speaking of, but they said, what does it mean to, you know, that we need to examine ourselves and partake worthily? Let me, let me just quickly respond to that. It does not say that we have to be worthy to partake of the bread and the wine. No one is worthy. That's what qualifies us. If you're unworthy, come to the table. You're qualified. It's all by grace. Amen? It means the manner unworthily, in an unworthy manner. That's what the way they were eating the bread and the cup. They, they were not really acknowledging the unity of the body. They were militating against that by the way they behaved. So let's go on and look at that. Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 19, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now the word factions there is uh, the Greek word heresies. And when you see that word, we often think of heresy. Okay, now let me explain something here. Um, in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, it's translated as sex. Okay, S-E-C-T-S. -E okay, separating into groups. Separating fr apart from each other into groups. We say that, that group over there, that's a sect. Okay, they've separated, they've pulled away from the body and become a sect. Okay, that's what the meaning of that word is. Now it can be as a result of a doctrine. We, we disagree on something and so we separate, you see? But the, the, the word means the actual separation, not so much of the doctrine. So the, the, the word does not refer to error in doctrine, but that which pr promotes division or contention. You know, there are 45,000 denominations today. How many bodies does Christ have? One. There are 45,000 denominations. That breaks the heart of Jesus. That really does. That's that, um, that, you know, the, the, the body of Christ is so fragmented and splintered that it's just a denial of what Jesus did at the cross. He made one body, created one body. He even brought Jew and Gentile together and, and created them into one body. Now, division can occur through a party spirit. There are some people who just want to separate and be the ones. You know what I mean? You know, even, even in Jesus' day, um, the disciples came to Jesus. They said, Lord, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, but he's not with us. So we told him to stop it. Oh, don't you find that funny? <laughs> I think, like, you've got to read, there's humour in the Bible if you look for it, it's there. Can you imagine Jesus responding to that? He's probably saying, just run that past me again. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You, you, you saw a man casting out a demon from a man in my name and you stopped him. Is that what you're saying? Yes. You know. Well, no, of course, yeah, that he was doing wrong. Go and find that demon and get it back in that man, you know. I mean, how crazy is that, really? And, and yet there are some people, they want to be the ones, the only ones that have got the truth. If you're not with us, then somehow you are deficient in some way. Friends, no one has a monopoly of truth. No one has got it all. We're all part of one body. Amen. We're joined to other members of the body. And it's interesting, you look at some of the posts on, online, if you... If you 
uh, or on social media at all. And a lot of people, even in grace churches, they, they seem to be always attacking one another, attacking others, and as if to say, we're the ones, we're the ones, we've got the, the whole truth, and the rest of you are just sort of substandard, you know? And that's contrary to what Jesus did at the cross. He united us into one body. Uh, so divisions can occur through a party spirit or a long list of demands which must be met in order, in order for us to remain in fellowship with others. So you look at a statement of beliefs, and, and this is where, where we get denominations. Uh, a lot of people can say, yeah, I line up with that, I line up with that, I line up with that. Oh, no, I don't believe in that. So they separate and form another group. Can you see that? The party spirit or, or this sort of um, not ticking all the boxes doctrinally. You know, compare the Apostles' Creed, the bare minimum. We sing that song sometimes. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And, and you know, if you believe that God, the Son, became the flesh for us, manifested in the flesh, took upon himself a human nature, went to the cross and died in our place, that's all you need to believe to have to be in fellowship with the whole of the body of Christ. If we, if we gather around that, there will be no need for division. If we unite on the main truth that unites us, that our God is Jesus manifest in the flesh and he died in our place. So the only thing that unites us is the finished work of Christ, but there are many ways to divide. Amen. That's why we have 45,000 denominations. Now, go back there, look at what Paul says, there must, there must also be factions among you. There must be, it's inevitable. Why is that? Well, there will inevitably be offences which could lead to separation or division. Why? Because God allows this to provide occasions for us to walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. See, we're getting close now to the context of this whole passage. There will be people you do not agree with in, in everything. There will be people who offend, you, who offend you. In fact, in Matthew 18, verse 7, Jesus said, it is impossible, but that offences will come. Think about that. If you're offended by another brother or sister, don't be shocked. Jesus is saying, what are you thinking? It's impossible you can live with others and not get offended at times. That's not the issue. The issue is what will we do about it? How will we respond? Will we walk in the flesh or will we walk according to the spirit? Amen? So when we separate from others, be it to form a clique or over personal issues, we judge them unworthy of our fellowship. Yet Christ has qualified us all and placed us all in the body. No one is disqualified. Now, friends, I'm not saying there's not a reason to leave a fellowship. If someone is not preaching um, you know, truth and, and it's affecting your spiritual life, then you need to separate. And just, but it's the manner in which it's done. that We, 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 we walk in love. We, we, we'll leave if we have to leave, separate in love. But there's not this kind of undealt with issue in the body of Christ, which there seems to be so much of today. His body is a unity and should not be fragmented or subjected to amputation, cutting off this member and that member. Paul says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. There are some people who sow discord. They, they, they dig up trouble. 
They ask questions to, to try to you know, make trouble and, and set one brother against another or, or cause division in the body of Christ. Paul says, avoid those people. If some, somebody comes to you and asks you a question about somebody else, you know, that seems to be digging up trouble, say, why are you asking me? Why don't you go to them? You know, why, why, you, why you, or if they're telling you something, why are you sharing this with me? What, what, is it, what benefit does that do to me? It only, it only brings division amongst us. Amen? So we should be mature enough to, to pick up people that say that and do that and correct them. That's maturity in the body of Christ. Okay. Now there were factions in the church at Corinth based on two things. First of all, in chapter 1, based on leaders. You know, they, some were saying, I am of Paul. So they rallied around Paul against those who were of Apollos and against those who were of Peter. Now, we, we believe in Peter, we believe in... So they, they kind of rallied around their leaders. The leaders didn't encourage that, by the way. That was what they were doing because they were carnal. And Paul rebuked that. And he said, that's carnal, you know. Is Christ divided? Amen. All things are yours. You don't have to choose Paul or Apollos or Peter. All things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos or Peter. He says that. All these, things have been, all these ministries have been given to the body of Christ. Benefit from all of them. Be built up. But don't, don't use one against another uh, to, to divide. And so there, there were divisions in that capacity. But there's also divisions. This is where we're coming into the context of 1 Corinthians 11. It was based on class. Okay? The Corinthians were bringing their own bread and wine to the meal instead of eating from one loaf and drinking from one cup. Okay? So what was happening is the rich, who were the, like the masters or the employers, if you like, they would arrive early because the servants hadn't finished their work. They could only come when their work was finished. So everyone brought something. The rich were bringing really nice food, nice wine even. And they, they, were, they, they were starting the meal before the others even came. And so by the time they came, the others, all the good food was eaten and the, wine, the good wine was gone. And the poor people just had the Vegemite sandwiches and cordial to drink, you know, if they were lucky. And so they were feeling this, you know, this thing, you should have waited for us and we share everything together because we are one body, celebrate the oneness that we have. But they were doing the very opposite. So the rich were overindulging and the poor were eating sparingly. They would even eat before the poor arrived. The rich went away full and the poor went away hungry. The very purpose of the meal was lost. Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So Paul was really you know, rebuking them and correcting them about this behaviour because it was so contrary to what was happening. Incidentally, I, I, I remember for years I used to think um, um, the way we celebrate communion, you know, we've got a little bit of bread, a little bit of biscuit, and a little cup. <laughs> Is this like the best way to do it? But you know what? See, back in those days, in, in the Corinthians days, they added a feast to communion. It was called the agape feast, the love feast. But it was anything, it ended up anything but love. 
It, it brought a lot of bitterness and, and uh, uh, you know, kind of division in the church, this very feast. So Paul stopped it in the end. And I used to think, you know, what we do, I don't know, is this a better way? You know, because it says, okay, we all drink of one cup. Should we just share a, a big communal cup? I don't mind that as long as I go first. You know, <laughs> I think, you know you're happy to have the cup after me. But, but seriously, and you know what? Just by accident, I think here, we came up with this tremendous idea, the lunch that we have here every, every Sunday. Who's, who's I? Gail's idea. Gail, a great idea. Because everyone, everyone brings something, we all share, and there's great fellowship and love amongst us at the end. I think, yeah, this is it. We have communion where we remember what Jesus did on the cross, but it doesn't end there. We have a beautiful time of fellowship after. And I think that's the balance that Paul was hoping would come through this love feast, but it just turned the other way. They, they just turned it into the exact opposites. Can you see the context? Okay, so let's move on. Just another example of that. Do you remember Paul rebuked Peter for a similar thing, his withdrawal from Gentile believers of table fellowship. See, what happened is, is uh, uh, Peter, uh, being a Jew, along with other Jews like Barnabas, they would sit around the table with, with Gentiles and eat because, you know, we're, we're one in Christ now. He's broken every division. But then when they saw Jewish believers coming from Jerusalem, all of a sudden, they thought, oh, you know, maybe they're going to judge us and, and, and not like this. So they t lifted their plate and went and sat on another table away from the Gentiles. So the very thing, again, a meal which should unite people, in the end, it ended up dividing. So Paul was angry. He says, uh, he rebuked him. He stood him up against the wall and he pointed his bony little finger into Peter's face and rebuked him. Why? To him, this was a major problem because it affected the truth of the gospel. The gospel was being corrupted by this. He says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, that we are one body, amen? All of a sudden we're two bodies again, Jews and Gentiles. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And remember, Peter had that vision from the, the blanket of foods coming down from heaven and, you know, the Lord said to him, what, what, what I've cleansed, don't call that unclean. But he was back to his old behaviour again, calling the Gentiles unclean by sitting on another table. So denial of the truth of our oneness in Christ. Okay, we're coming, coming quickly to an end here. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 35, which is a great passage, we looked at it, touched upon it in the last session, which is about forgiveness. We, we see that the key to gaining a brother, Jesus spoke about this, this uh, thought of, okay, when there's, when there's a fallout between two brethren, the key to gaining that brother is forgiveness. And, and the key to, to forgiveness is to know how much we have been forgiven. Do you remember the king who forgave that man? I forget how much we said it was there. It was something like $60 million or something like that. You'd never be able to repay it. And, and, and that man owed, uh, was owed by another man 100 denarii, which is about four months' salary only. And the king forgave him everything. And yet he wouldn't forget that man, just that little debt that he owed him. And, and to me, you know, we all have to forgive people, all of us. And this is a part of our journey. You know, Jesus only gave us one commandment. 
that we love one another as he has loved us. Amen. This means so much to him. His body in harmony, in love means so much to him. And he says that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. The key to that, and this is what I found in my own life, is, is to know how much God has forgiven us. He's forgiven us everything. Amen. Now these two things are brought together at communion. Personally, I think, you know, I don't get legalistic about this, but I, I think it's better to take the cup before the bread. I think it's one of the Gospels where it says that. It speaks about the cup first. Why? Because you, you, look, you take the cup and you just contemplate. You ask the question, how much has God forgiven me? You know the answer? Everything. 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 Praise God. Your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. There's no condemnation. Doesn't matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, doesn't matter what you're going to do, it's already been forgiven at the cross. That's the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of grace. Just, just contemplate that and then you, you take this piece of bread. This is the way I, I take it anyway, I think. And, and I remind myself I'm connected to every member of the body of Christ. Now, is there anything in my heart towards any brother or sister that I've not dealt with in my heart. And if there is, I think, well, in comparison to what the Lord has dealt with in my life, the forgiveness he's gave me, what is this petty little thing, this stupid little thing that I'm holding against him? How dare I not forgive my brother, my sister, when God has forgiven me everything? Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the way to take communion. And that brings healing. See, I've got to say this, Paul never taught in that chapter, if you take communion this way, you'll be healed. What he taught is if you don't take communion the right way, you'll get sick. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you because you're taking the, the body, the bread rather, which, which is a symbol of our unity and, and there's all this disunity, fragmentation. And for this reason, many are sick and, and, and uh, weak among you and some are even sleeping, he said. Now, let's tie this in as I close with one other verse or one other passage in James' gospel, James' epistle, sorry. He said, is anyone sick among you? Or is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. See, so this is a specific type of healing here. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now some people say, what? I thought we were already forgiven. Yes, you are. Vertically, everything is right between you and God. He's talking about horizontally. That's why we, it's an it's a in-house matter. Call for the elders of the church. There's been a, a rift or something between members. Call for the elders of the church. Confess your thoughts one to another. It says, confess your trespasses to one another, not to God. That's already been dealt with. You don't have to confess your sins to God. They've already been dealt with. But your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's the healing that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I pray, I really pray with all my heart, the church worldwide will get a hold of this and embrace this because it's an aspect of healing that's not touched upon. It's swept under the carpet 
But we need to understand that we, like it or not, we are joined to one another. And what we do in our relationships affects ourselves. So let's just pray. Why don't we just stand for a moment as we, we finish up this morning. We're just going to stand and just maybe re- hold your hand out before the Lord, your hands, and uh, just receive again what the Lord wants to do in your life and especially in your body at this time as I pray. Father, we just thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. We thank you, Lord, as we see in the Gospels, Jesus having compassion in the depths of his being for those who were sick and suffering, and he healed them all. And Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we just receive by faith, through grace, what you want to give into our lives today. The healing of our bodies, whether it's instant, whether it's gradual, we receive it. You're a good God. And Lord, we pray that if there is anything between us and any other member of the body of Christ, if we're holding on to things, help us, Lord, to just be reminded of how much you've forgiven us and cleansed us and released us from, that we might forgive others even as you have forgiven us. Bring healing, Lord, we pray, in every sense of the word, to the body of Christ here and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.